You are listening to the Grace Capital Church Podcast, broadcasting from our Pittsfield campus. Matthew 13, 44 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Remember, we talked about that field. And what did we say the field is? The field is the world, right? It's, and the man is, the, the person in the, the parable is Jesus who he sees the world and he sees that his daily delight here in this world has been uh, uh, disconnected from him through sin and, and how he sees the field though and he wants to go and, and he sells all of the riches of heaven, all of the glory of heaven to come and be with us in the human form, in flesh. He came to do that for us. He came to do that for us. But there's a price to it, Right? There's a price to it. There's a price to his coming and being a part of us. Remember we talked in Genesis about uh, when God cursed the serpent and said that he's going to crush the head of the serpent, but it's going to bruise the heel of the one who crushes it. So there's going to be a cost. There's going to be a price. There's going to be a cost to God coming through Jesus and, and buying back his daily delight, buying us back. Because we are his daily delight. In Ephesians 6.20, it says, For you were bought with a price. We're bought with a price. And today we're going to talk about that price. And we're going to really uh, evaluate and see what price it is that Jesus paid to redeem, to buy back his daily delight. The price of his delight. And John 10.11 gives us a little hint. So here's another spoiler alert. John 10.11 says that Jesus said that in John 10.11, Jesus says that he's the good shepherd right? And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So there's a little hint, there's a little teaser about the price of his delight. So today we're going to focus on just the last few hours of Jesus' uh, life here on earth before his crucifixion, before his arrest, and and before he was taken to trial. We're going to talk about some of those last moments, those those last day or so uh, of his life here on earth before he was crucified, to see what the real price is that he paid for us, his daily delight. The last hours of his life, before his arrest, before his crucifixion. We're going to skip over if you want to look at Matthew 26. Matthew 26, and we're going to read um, verses 36 and 37, but I encourage you later on to read uh, 26, 36, uh, just through the rest of the chapter as it talks about Jesus and what he was going through as he prepared, as he was being prepared and he was being led to crucifixion. So in Matthew 26, 36, it says, Then Jesus came with them to a place, place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Jesus began to be sorrowful and deeply dis- distressed as he goes to Gethsemane. Now Gethsemane uh, um, is this garden there in, in Jerusalem. And the, the word Gethsemane translates to olive pressed. The, it, it translates to, the, to olive pressed. Something back here is clicking. Is something clicking back here or is that me? It must be me. Anyway, so Gethsemane, I don't know. Uh, it, it translates into an olive press. And an, what is an olive press? You know, it, Israel is known for olives. And about 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Israel. And there's olive trees everywhere. And they serve olives for every meal. And I don't like olives, but it was kind of cool to see it all anyway. So these olive presses, we, I got to see one. It's this huge stone that's kind of hewn out to, to like a bowl. 
And uh, so what they do is they dump the olives in there, and then they have this other stone that they put on top that puts this intense pressure on these olives, and it squeezes out the, uh, the olive oil. So the olive oil is created by this intense pressure. And here Jesus was going to this place called Gethsemane, going to this place called Olive Press to pray to his father. And Scripture says that he was sorrowful and deeply distressed. Now, one thing we know about Scripture, right? It's true. We agree on that. The Scripture is the truth. Scripture doesn't exaggerate. Scripture doesn't uh, uh, go above and beyond the truth, right? And so when it says that Jesus began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed, that's exactly what it meant exactly what it means. Jesus was sorrowful. He was distressed. He knew what was coming up. He was fully man and he was fully God. So the fully God part, he knew what was coming up. He knew this crucifixion was coming. He knew the agony. He knew all that he was going to go through. And the man part, he didn't want to do it because it was going to be painful. It was going to hurt. It was going to be so hard to be able to go through this physically, emotionally as a man to be able to go through this, these next few hours, starting here in the garden and going through the trial and the crucifixion. So when the Bible uses words like sorrowful and deeply distressed, that's exactly what it means. Jesus was sorrowful. He was deeply distressed. He was human. He felt pain. He agonized. But yet he still knew, even through this, this time in the garden, this time in the olive press, this time of great pressure, he knew that what he had to do for his daily delight. He knew what he had to do for you and for me, his daily delight. And so he did it. And then you can read this this same uh, part of Scripture in the book of Luke, and it talks about, by the way, Luke was a doctor. He was a a physical doctor, an MD maybe uh, in our day. And and the, uh, the, the gospel writer Luke talks about Jesus sweating blood, that his blood became like sweat, sorrowful and deeply depressed in this place of highest pressure, Jesus sweating droplets of blood. And there have been debates about that. And can mankind really, can we really sweat drops of blood? And so I, there was, I studied that a little bit this, these past few weeks. And, and there's a doctor who wrote an, an article, the, a physician analyzes the crucifixion. His name is C. Truman Davis. And he talks a little bit from a medical perspective about Jesus sweating droplets of blood. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to read what the doctor says. He says, the physical passion of Christ began in Gethsemane. Of all the many aspects of his initial suffering, the one which is of particular physiological interest is the bloody sweat. Interestingly enough, the physician St. Luke is the only evangelist to mention this occurrence. He says, and being in an agony, he prayed the longer, and his sweat became his drops of blood, trickling down upon the ground. Every attempt imaginable has been used by modern scholars to explain why the phenomenon of bloody sweat, apparently under, to explain away, I'm sorry, the phenomenon of bloody sweat, apparently under the mistaken impression that it simply does not occur. A great deal of effort could be saved by consulting the medical literature. Though very rare, the phenomenon of hematidrosis, or bloody sweat, is well documented. Under great emotional stress, tiny capillaries in the sweat glands can break thus mixing the blood with sweat. This process alone could have produced marked weakness and possible shock. So this is what Jesus was going through. This high pressure, this agony, this, this distress, this sorrow, to the point where he was sweating droplets of blood. Sweating dro- droplets of blood. 
So the next thing they did to Jesus, after they came to the garden, they arrested him and they took him to be crucified. They took him to, to this trial. And then he was ordered to be scourged. Now some people say that this scourging was a preparation for the crucifixion. I read in another uh, uh, guide this week that said that maybe this was Pilate's attempt at total punishment for Jesus. That Pilate really just wanted Jesus to be scourged and then set free until the masses and the mobs wouldn't let him do that. But either way, they took Jesus to be scourged. And so the doctor, he writes about the scourging. And if I could, I'd like to read that. Again, this is coming from a medical doctor, from a physical and medical perspective. Preparations for Jesus' scourging were carried out at Caesar's orders. The prisoner was stripped of his clothing and his hands tied to a post above his head. The Roman legionnaire uh, stepped forward with the flagrum or flagellum in his hand. This was a short whip consisting of several heavy leather thongs with two small balls of lead attached near the ends of each. The heavy whip was brought down with full force again and again across Jesus' shoulders, back, and legs. At first, the weighted thongs cut through only the skin. Then, as the blows continued, they cut deeper into the subcutaneous tissues, producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and veins of the skin, and finally spurting arterial bleeding from vessels in the underlying muscles. The small balls of lead first produced large, deep bruises that were broken open by subsequent blows. Finally, the skin of the back was hanging in long ribbons, and the entire area was an unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissue. When it was determined by the centurion in charge that the prisoner was near death, the the beating was finally stopped. Scourged. Beaten. Jesus. For his daily delight. And as they were doing this, they were mocking him. They were making fun of him. They plucked out his beard. They spat on him. They treated him in a way that no human being should ever be treated. This Jesus, the Son of God. So now, after the trial and after the scourging, it's time for the crucifixion. Roman crucifixion interestingly enough, was for anyone except a Roman. It was designed as the uh, most cruel and harsh and brutal type of death sentence known to mankind. And it was devised by the Romans to show their dominance, to show that you don't mess with Rome. You don't mess with Rome. So they devised this horrible, terrible, just incredibly brutal way of enacting the death penalty. So first, they had to walk to the place of the crucifixion. So Jesus had to carry his own cross. After he had been beaten, after these ribbons of flesh, blood, he had to carry the cross, beaten and bruised, spat upon. I read somewhere where it's only like 650 yards. It's a a short walk for you or me. But it was an agonizing walk for Jesus as he carried the cross, beaten, bruised, spat upon, scourged. Again from the doctor. In spite of Jesus' efforts to walk erect, the weight of the heavy wooden beam, 
the cross, together with the shock produced by copious losses of blood, was too much. He stumbled and fell. The rough wood of the beam gouged into the lacerated skin and muscles of the shoulders. He tried to rise, but, but human muscles had been pushed beyond their endurance. The centurion, anxious to proceed with the crucifixion, selected a stalwart North African onlooker, Simon of Cyrene, to carry the cross. Jesus followed, still bleeding and sweating the cold, clammy sweat of shock. The 650-yard journey from the fortress Antonia to Golgotha was finally completed. The prisoner was again stripped of his clothing, except for a loincloth, which was allowed the Jews. The crucifixion began. Jesus was offered wine mixed with myrrh, which is a mild analgesic, pain-relieving mixture. He refused the drink. Simon was ordered to place the patibulum on the ground, and Jesus was quickly thrown backward with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire felt for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drove a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly, he moved to the other side and repeated the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flexion and movement. The patibulum was then lifted into place at the top of the stipes and the titulus, reading, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, was nailed into place. The left foot was pressed back against the right foot. With both feet extended, toes down, a nail was driven through the arch of each leaving the knees moderately flexed, the victim was now crucified. The victim was now crucified. Jesus, withstanding the torture of crucifixion, the cost of buying back his daily delight, the cost, the price he paid to buy back his daily delight, you and me, on the cross in agony, paying the price for his delight. As Jesus slowly sagged down with more weight on the nails in the wrist, excruciating, fiery pain shot along the fingers and ran up and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrist were putting pressure on the median nerve, large nerve trunks which traversed the mid-wrist and hand. As he pushed himself upward to avoid the stretching torment, he placed his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there was searing agony as the nail tore through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of his feet. At this point, another phenomenon occurred. As the arms fatigued, great waves of cramps swept over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps came the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by the arm, the pectoral muscles, the large muscles in the chest were paralyzed. And the intercostal muscles, the small muscles between the ribs, were unable to act. Air could be drawn into the lungs but could not be exhaled. Jesus fought to raise himself in order to get even one short breath. Finally, the carbon dioxide level increased in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subsided. The torture of crucifixion. Death on the cross. It's agonizing. And here he was, an innocent man. A man who had done no wrong. He was on this cross, paying back, buying back his daily delight, buying back those that he loved so much, those that he created this beautiful earth for, those that 
He created in his own image, in his own likeness. Jesus went through this crucifixion, went through this agony, went through this pain. Great love. Paying the price for his delight. Paying the price for his delight. The common method of ending a crucifixion was by crurifracture, the breaking of the bones of the leg. This prevented the victim from pushing himself upward. The tension could not be relieved from the muscles of the chest, and rapid suffocation occurred. The legs of the two thieves were broken, but when the soldiers approached Jesus, they saw that this was unnecessary. Jesus was already dead. He was already dead. Death on the cross. This innocent man. The price of his delight. In Romans 5, verse 6 and 8, 6 through 8, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Why would God do this? Why would God send his son to dwell with us, to be one of us? God, Emmanuel, God with us. Only to lead him to this horrible conclusion, this horrible death on the cross. But we know it wasn't the conclusion, right? Because he rose from the dead on the third day. But why would God do this? Isn't there another way? Couldn't God do another do it another way? He's God after all. But this is the way he chose to buy back the price of his delight. Why? Well, if you look in the book of Hebrews 12, 2, we see the why. We can see the why. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before him? Are you kidding me? Death on a cross? Crucifixion hanging there? In agony. The most brutal death that mankind could come up with at the time. Crucifixion. And this is talking about the joy set before him? How can that be? That joy set before him is you and it's me. His daily delight. The joy set before him is reconciling you and me into right relationship with him. His delight. His daily delight. And then notice too in this same verse it, it says despising the shame. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And you know, I've read this verse, and I've read this verse, and I've read this verse, and I've just skimmed right over that, despising the shame. I've just, I think I assumed it meant despising the pain. But no, despising the shame. The shame. Think about it. Jesus was embarrassed. He was beaten beaten to a bloody pulp his clothes were taken off of him he was given a crown of thorns to mock him he was spat upon he was mocked 
an innocent man. He didn't have to go through that. He was God. He could have called the angels and he could have gotten out of it. But he knew he had to do it because he knew that that was the price of his delight. The price of his delight. So all the shame, he he withstood that for the joy that was set before him. You and me. The joy that was set before him. Those out in our community who don't know him yet, the joy set before him. The joy of his people, his daily delight coming back and, and being his friend again. Being back in relationship with him again. Being close again. The joy set before him. And he despised the shame. He despised the shame. He He bore the shame of all of our sin. All of our sin. He despised that shame, but he bore it for us. He despised the shame of all the sin, of all of mankind. He despised the sin of Cain, or the shame of the sin of Cain killing Abel. He despised the shame of King David with Bathsheba. He despised the shame of Moses striking and killing an Egyptian man. He despised the shame of Peter denying him. Not once, three times. Jesus despised that shame. He despised the shame of Saul, who later became Paul, who who watched over the coats of those who would kill Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Jesus despised the shame of it all. Naked beaten on the cross. He despised the shame. Oh, and on top of that, Jesus despised the shame of my sin. He despised the shame of your sin. Jesus despised the shame of my divorce, my life in the balance of the times I was not following him. He despised that shame. despised the shame of, of any kind of a lie I've told. He despised the shame of any places I've been there I shouldn't be. He despised the shame of all of my sin. For the joy. For the joy set before him. He despised it. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. From the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible, we've talked about how much God loves us, how much He delights in us. And today we talk about the price of His delight. Maybe you've never heard this story, you've never understood the price that Jesus paid for you and for me, His daily delight. And and today you want to do something about that. There's going to be some folks down front that would love to to talk with you and pray with you, give you some encouragement. So if the the elders would come and be ready for prayer. Our response to this, there has to be a response. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and gave his life. of us we know Jesus we know this story and we've we've understood his 
price of his delight, then our response is those outside who don't know yet, those outside who are yet to know how much God loves them. From the very first chapter, he's loved them and how much he wants to be in relationship with them, how much he wants them back with him, that he would pay the price for his delight. So for those of you who know Jesus and and know this price, your challenge is to go and share. Tell someone about the price that Jesus paid. He paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to Him we are. Lord Jesus, as we finish up today, Lord, we finish talking about the love of God. Lord, love from the very first chapter of Genesis through the very last chapter of Revelation, Lord. We know that you love us and you care for us. And today, Lord, we know that you paid the price. You paid the price for us, your delight. Father, we thank you. We thank you for that. Lord, give us us that passion to go out and, and to share your love with others, to share your love with his, your daily delight that's out in this community that doesn't, doesn't even know that you delight in them daily, Lord. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We know that the price you paid, paid it all. The price that you paid, Lord, paid it all. And all to you we owe. If you would like prayer, if you uh, want to know more about this price that Jesus paid, m- more about the love of God, we have a team of prayer uh, warriors, elders, and leaders here who would love to pray with you and talk with you and encourage you, even as you go out, to spread the gospel, to spread the good news of that one who paid the price for us. Amen. God bless you. Have a great and wonderful week. Share the love of Jesus with someone this week. Thank you for listening to the Grace Capital Church podcast. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and the mission that we have in New England, or if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to support this ministry financially, please visit us online at gccnh.com 